Hello, my name is Dr. Amy Hoffnagel from the University of Florida, Jacksonville, and today I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Emanuela Keller on behalf of the Education Committee of the Society for Neuroscience and Anesthesia and Critical Care. Dr. Keller is the head of the Neurointensive Care Unit at the University Hospital Zurich. Her research focus is on development of new methods to estimate cerebral hemodynamics and oxygenation and on the effects of and potential treatments for subarachnoid hemorrhage. She has written over 50 articles, 16 book chapters, co-edited two books, holds two patents, and is the founder of a medical device company, Nemo Devices. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Keller about cerebral monitoring in the neuro ICU setting. My first question is, briefly, why is bedside cerebral blood flow monitoring so crucial for patients in the neuro ICU setting? So within the setting of a multimodal neuromonitoring, determination of cerebral blood flow is of particular importance because it is the key determinant of brain tissue oxygenation and glucose supply. As early as in the 70s, Graham, Aubrey, Obergaard, and others demonstrated that alterations in CBFs exacerbate secondary neuronal injury in TBI patients. Over the years, guidelines concerning blood pressure measurement in TBI have been controversially discussed in the context of the long concept direct measurement of CBFs. CBFs should allow for specific measurement and management of the exact needs of each individual brain injury patient. In aneurysm subarachnoid hemorrhage, there is furthermore accumulating evidence that vasospasm, originally defined as the angiographic narrowing of large arterial vessels, is not the only cause of delayed ischemic neurological deficits leading to secondary infarctions. There has been a marked shift to new concepts involved in the development of DIND, including acute brain injury, microthrombosis, inflammation, and cortical spreading depression. The entire picture of DIND is multifactorial, and the clear distinction from angiographic vasospasm is essential to give insights in the pathophysiology of DIND and new neuroprotective strategies. One aspect in this complex pathophysiology of SIH is that the occurrence may depend on the balance between local cerebral oxygen delivery and demand, which can only be determined by measuring CBF and the cerebral metabolic rate of oxygen. Can you please talk about some of the current available technologies to measure cerebral blood flow at the bedside? Yes, several monitoring techniques to assess cerebral blood flow has been introduced. However, each monitoring technology has its limitations in clinical practice. The established methods for better monitoring of CBF within our tracers, such as the nitrous oxide dilution method invented by the pioneers Ketty and Schmidt in the 40s, and the radio-labeled xenon dilution are technically difficult and time-consuming, and thus they are not feasible in the daily clinical practice of a new ICU. Imaging studies such as perfusion-weighted MR, xenon, CT, and PETs, they are powerful tools, but they require transport of a patient which carries a potentially high risk for the critically ill and is time-consuming for the medical staff. Furthermore, the information obtained with imaging studies is only a snapshot of the patient's condition, not accounting for the dynamic changes of cerebral hemodynamics. Transcranial Doppler sonography, TCD, 
measures blood flow velocities. And CBF may be calculated if the vessel cross-sectional area and the angle of intonation are constant. However, in pathological states, these parameters may vary over time and flow can be increased in SH patients due to vasospasm of high flow states as in fever and anemia. The Lindegard ratio can help to differ between elevated flow velocities caused by hypoperfusion and, and vasospasm. However, it has to be taken into account that TBF indices are derived from measurements based on flow velocities. So the TCD findings show never should never be used in isolation. Nevertheless, TCD is easy to perform at bedside and should be used to complement other monitoring available. In 2000, Lycosi introduced the brain tissue probe, the Q-flow probe from Hemidex for bedside assessment of CBS using the thermal diffusion method. The advantages of the probe include easy operating procedures and continuous CBF measurements. The potential benefits have been documented in TBI and SAH patients. However, the clinical acceptance of the probe remains poor, mainly due to technical difficulties leading to significant measurement drifts and recalibration errors. Much of your research has focused on finding a better way to monitor cerebral blood flow. Can you tell us a bit about NIRS? The principle of near-infrared spectroscopy was first described by friends in 1977 and is based upon the principle that light in the near-infrared region penetrates biological tissue and is absorbed differently by the chromophores of oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin. Near-infrared spectroscopy signals contain the light source and detectors are generally attached over the forehead and measure the attenuation of light as it travels through the tissues. The absorption of photons is determined by the modified bare lumbar law, which allows calculating changes of oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin. Commercially available instruments for near-infrared spectroscopy they provide continuous assessment of a regional tissue oxygen saturation. However, contamination of the near signal by extracellular tissues such as skin, skull, cerebral spinal fluid is the major restriction for its clinical application. This impedes the determination of absolute values for brain tissue oxygenation and the finding of critical thresholds for ischemia. Our research group, in a 20 years collaboration between the University Hospital and the Technical University of Zurich, ETH, developed a dilution mode applying indocyanin in green and near-infrared spectroscopy. ICG is FDA-approved and widely used in medical diagnosis and absorbs light in the infrared region. It is injected intravenously, and classical dye dilution curves from the intervascular tracer are recorded from the illuminated optical segment. New algorithms have been developed to analyze the ICG dye dilution curve and to calculate absolute values of the mean transit time of ICG, CVF, and cerebral blood volume. The practicability of this technology has been demonstrated already in the environment of a new intensive care unit 
and the values obtained were validated by perfusion MR imaging in healthy volunteers. Furthermore, to overcome the problem of exocerebral contamination of the near infrared spectroscopy signal, a conventional probe for intracranial pressure ICP monitoring has been supplied with optical fibers for near infrared spectroscopy directly within the white matter of the brain tissue. As a very first step, the feasibility of the method and the reproducibility has been investigated in a multi-center study in Europe at the University Hospitals of Zurich, Heidelberg and Graz with positive results. Recently, at the University of Heidelberg, the brain tissue probe has been validated in comparison with the existing thermal diffusion probe in PICS. The corresponding publications are submitted and are under review. In patients with severe TBI and stroke, where ICP probes are installed anyway due to brain edema and intracranial hypertension, the new combined near-infrared spectroscopy ICP probe offers enhanced modality modes measuring ICP, CBF, fever blood volume, oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin as well as the brain tissue oxygen saturation without any additional surgical intervention. Actually, we are performing measurements in parallel with the near-infrared spectroscopy ICP probe and plaster-based NIRS patches over the skin. This offers a completely new approach to quantify and subtract the exocerebral contamination of the near-infrared spectroscopy signal achieving absolute values for CBF and brain tissue oxygenation in future. Thank you very much.